0: What a great day. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. If you've got your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're still going to be in verses 1 through 12, focusing on 7 through 12. If you haven't been here, uh, or if you're visiting with us, uh, we want you to know that you're welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, right after this service, we're going to have to have a short uh, vote on the, com- the committee personnel for 2023-2024, Uh, So I'm going to try to make that as quick as possible. I'm shooting for 25 seconds or less. So it's just going to take just a very quick moment right after. But we are in the book of Galatians. We are walking through the book of Galatians verse by verse. That's what we do here is we go verse by verse, section by section through books of the Bible. And Paul is writing this letter just to give you a little recap because in the churches in Galatia, There were these Jewish false teachers that had come into the churches and they were teaching these Gentile Christians that for Gentiles to truly be right with God, you must trust in Jesus, the Messiah. They would claim to be Christians, but you also must be circumcised according to the law of Moses. And so they were saying, you can't be saved by just trusting the gospel. You must trust the gospel and be circumcised. And the whole point of the book of Galatians is Paul's writing to rebuke this teaching. And he's demonstrating that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, no matter if you're Jew or Gentile. And so his point, as we've walked through uh, four chapters of this book already, is that to add anything to the gospel results in slavery to keep the whole law. If you add one point of the law to the gospel, you have to keep it all perfectly in order to make yourself righteous before God, which is, of course, an impossibility. Now, we examined verses 1 through 6 last week, but before we start in verse 7, I want to just read all 12 verses so we kind of get the flow of Paul's argument and where we are in the text. So chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. This is where our verses for today start. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever it is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And we will definitely end the reading on that note. (laughs) Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we do love you. Thank you for your word. Your word is perfect and pure and inerrant. And holy. And God, we pray that you would speak to us by your Spirit and that you would illuminate this word to us today, that you would change us from the inside out. God, we ask that we would glorify your name and that we would hear your voice this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we worked through verses one through six. We talked about true freedom in the gospel. Uh, freedom from the penalty of sin in the law uh, taken by, uh, by Jesus on the cross, and we are free from the condemnation of it. We also talked about freedom from the power of sin in our hearts. And we examined Paul's command. His command was stand firm in the freedom, uh, in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. He's meaning don't go back to the law. Don't accept circumcision as something you must do to be right with God. Stand firm in faith alone, trusting that that we've been given perfect salvation and perfect righteousness before God by faith in Jesus Christ alone, his death, his resurrection. And so by faith, sinners are united to Christ in his life, his death, his resurrection, and he takes the punishment that our sin deserves. The debt of our sin, if we are united to Christ, if we've been born again The debt is paid in full. There's nothing that we can add to our standing before God. In practice and in our life, we'll be improving and growing in holiness, growing in maturity, growing in all these things. But as far as our standing before God, when we stand before the judgment bar of God, you will either be 100% perfect in Christ or you will be zero in your own righteousness. And so Christ has done it all. And his, Paul's command to them is stand firm in that freedom. Don't go back to striving for being right with God by works. And so in verse 1 through 6, Paul goes on to say, if you think that you can add to what Christ has done, if you think that you can add to your righteousness before God, even with something small like circumcision or maybe baptism in our case, To think that that adds to your standing before God, adds to your salvation, that's to deny that Jesus is enough. It's to trust in something other than Jesus and that destroys the gospel message. Paul said in the text we read, if you accept circumcision as necessary to be saved, you're severed from Christ. Salvation is either all of grace by faith in Christ or it's all of your own works. You can't have have any combination of those two things. It's one or the other. So the whole point of the letter of Galatians is summed up in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has freed us. Stand firm in that freedom. Don't go back to the slavery of working to make yourself right with God or thinking that you're making yourself right with God. And then in 7 through 12, he continues. He showed us in 5 and 6 how we stand firm in faith. He says, we wait on the hope of righteousness. We wait to be made righteous as we have been declared righteous in Jesus. And then in 7 through 12, he's going to continue to show us what it means to stand in that gospel freedom. And we do that in, this, in these verses. He shows us we do that. Standing firm also means that we have to stand against anything. Any teaching, any doctrine, any ideas, any thoughts of our own hearts, any teacher's. Anything that tries to add to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Claiming that Jesus alone is not enough. The gospel is not enough. And the first thing Paul does is he asks this question to them. And what he does is he uses the question to warn them. To be aware of those that are hindering you. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul says, you were running well, meaning you were trusting in the gospel alone. You were following Christ. You were were living for Christ. And then Paul asks this rhetorical question, who hindered you? Literally, it says, who cut in on you? Who diverted you away from obeying the truth? Now, Paul knows the answer to this question. He's been talking about it for four chapters. He asks the question, as a call for the Galatians to recognize what happened, to identify those who had influenced them and diverted them, hindered them from walking in the gospel. Paul says they hindered you from obeying the truth, meaning they they diverted you from trusting and walking in the gospel alone. Now, the Galatians and, and these Judaizers, is what we called them, they claimed to be Christian, but they added Jewish law to Christianity they would have said, no, 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 we're not denying the gospel. We're just trying to help the Galatians be be right with God. We're trying to help the Galatians be more righteous before God. We're trying to help them be more accepted before God. We're not denying that Jesus is the Messiah, and technically that was true. They weren't denying that. They believed that Jesus died on the cross. They believed that he raised from the dead. Their message was simply this. Yes, the gospel is great. The gospel is God's message. It's needed, but you also need to add circumcision also to be a full member of God's covenant people. God's covenant people have always, had circumcision and these rites and practices according to the laws of Moses. And you Gentiles are no different. If you're going to get into the covenant of God, you have to trust in Jesus and you have to be circumcised. See, the Galatians and the Judaizers didn't think that they were overturning the gospel. They only added this one small little thing. They only added circumcision. That's it. But Paul's clear that even to add that slight deviation from the gospel corrupts the whole thing. He said, if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no benefit to you. These teachers are actually hindering you from obeying the truth, Paul says. So he's calling them to be on alert, to pay attention to those that are hindering you that are stopping you from standing in the gospel alone, from trusting in the gospel alone, from walking in the gospel alone. This is so vital for our Christian life. You've heard me say it many times, the gospel is not the baby steps of Christianity. It's not what you do in vacation Bible school and now I've got that part done, I need to go seek the deeper things and the deeper principles and the deeper teachings and all that. The gospel is the foundation of the Christian life. It's everything in the Christian life. It's the hub around which your whole life turns. We have to live the gospel, walk in the gospel, trusting that Jesus has made us right And he's made us who we are, and we need nothing else before God. The gospel is central to everything. Any error in our thinking about the gospel will spread to your whole Christian life. It'll spread through your whole life and through the whole church like yeast through a lump of dough. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. When it comes to the gospel, there can't be any compromise we can agree to disagree about a lot of things, but the gospel is not one of them. Not too long ago, a bunch of guys from this church came to my house to build a fence for me, to keep my dogs in. I really appreciate it. It's a really pretty fence too. So once the frame was up, you know, they put the posts in the ground and they run the two by fours or whatever they are across there. You start hanging those, you start hanging those boards, each board. And so um, once it was up, me and Matt Canfield... Back there on the back row, you Matt? We went down one side, hanging these boards. One right after the other, and we was moving fast. You know, these other guys are working hard. We didn't want to look dumb, so we were going quick, trying to get done. And um, we, was, we was going quick. Before, you know, before we knew it, we were almost done with this whole big long side. When we backed up and looked at our work, you could see this gradual tilting of the boards as they went down the side, until the last one was really bad. I mean, it looked like Ray Charles hung the fence. (laughs) You see, somewhere along the way, one board was just off, just a few millimeters, just a tiny bit. It wasn't even noticeable, just a tiny little error. But by the time we got all the way down the fence, that little error made the whole fence crooked. So you know what we did to fix it? And by the way, I want you to know... I love Matt with all I am, but he said, it's not that bad. It'll probably be okay. (laughs) What we did to fix it was we had to remove all the boards all the way up to the point where we made the error, where we made that first error. And then after that, you better believe we paid attention to every single board to make sure every single one was straight all the way down. See, a little leaven leavens the whole thing, infects the whole thing. Paul is calling the Galatians to back up and look at that first board where you got off track. Who hindered you that you are not obeying the truth? He calls the Galatians to identify those that caused them to get off track, those that were bringing them back to striving in vain to earn salvation and peace and righteousness before God. He wants them to examine the the little bit of leaven that has infected their whole lives and their church. He says, go back and examine it. Go back and examine it. Look at where this teaching is coming from. He says, this persuasion didn't come from God. It didn't come from the one who called you. This message that you're hearing now, Paul would say to them, is not the message that brought you into salvation. It's not the message that was first brought to you when you got saved, when, when you were born again, when the grace of Christ came and you were renewed by the Holy Spirit. When God saved you, you trusted the gospel was enough. You trusted in Jesus alone. The cross is sufficient. He paid for my sin. He died for me. He rose from the grave. You trusted that message when you got saved. Jesus was all you needed to be right with God. Paul's saying, what's changed now? God didn't change his mind. God hasn't changed his word. The one who called you in grace and saved you perfectly through the gospel has not amended that gospel now. So that now, all of a sudden, you have to add some extra stuff. You have to add ritual. You have to add ceremony. You have to add works. You have to add all of these things in order to be right with God. That's not, that didn't come from God. That persuasion is not from the one who called you. He hasn't changed the terms of his gospel. You need to recognize that this diversion that you're following, it didn't come from God. We are often blind to those people and to those ideas And to those thoughts of our own hearts that hinder us from walking in the gospel, from trusting in the gospel alone, from from finding our sufficiency in the gospel. We're blind to those things that hinder us from finding our peace and our purpose and our identity in Jesus Christ alone. You know, those things that say, well, the gospel's good. But boy, if you had this, you'd really be happy. You'd really, be, you'd really be at peace. You'd really be able to rest. You'd really be able to, and whatever it is, that day that you were born again, do you remember it? The gospel was enough. It was all that there was. It was all that you needed. You needed nothing else. You were right with God. The Holy Spirit indwelled your heart. And as we go through this life, we get the, well, oh God, what have you done for me lately disease? There's no shortage of teachings, of books, of principles, internet articles, even advice from well-meaning people that draw us away from finding our identity, our sufficiency in Christ alone, in the gospel alone, that draw us away from trusting that Jesus is sufficient and that we're given all things in him. The temptation to neglect the gospel and chase after other things often comes dressed in spiritual-sounding language, even with Bible verses quoted upon it. The wolves dress like sheep. They look like sheep. They talk like sheep. And it's common when Christians turn away from from finding their sufficiency, their righteousness before God in the gospel alone alone, Almost always, they give God the credit for it. Well, God has shown me this. God has told me that. God is leading me this way. Listen, the Galatians hadn't fallen into error because they were intentionally deciding to disobey God. They thought they had received a new truth that they had been missing all this time. Oh, circumcision, of course. We'll just add that on. They thought that they had received through these teachers a more full understanding of what God wanted from them, what God required from them, and this led them to think that their rebellion was sanctioned by God. Paul saying, pay attention. Who hindered you and introduced this leaven? Compare their message with the God who called you in the gospel, with the God who called you in the grace of the gospel. Ask this question of yourselves, what did you lack in the gospel of Jesus Christ when salvation came to you and the Holy Spirit indwelt you? What did you lack? What did you lack before God? What did you lack in life? What did you lack? If the answer of that, to that question is, I lacked nothing, then why do you think you need something extra now? What's changed I'm thinking about that story about, you know, the trucks used to have just one bench seat and there was no back seat and the husband's driving and his wife's looking out the window and the wife said, honey, do you remember we we used to just sit all next to each other when we would ride? He said behind the wheel, I ain't moved. (laughs) What's changed? The gospel's sufficient. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to Jesus' death and resurrection, it's not the baby steps. It's not the, the, the little, it's everything. It's who we are. It's how we walk. It's how we live. It's how we breathe, knowing that he has paid it all, that it's done, that we are united to him, that the father looks at us and he sees us in Christ. It's everything. Pay attention. Beware of those hindering you from obeying the truth. Even if it's our own flesh. We've talked about this several times in Galatians. We have a tendency to think that if I don't do good enough today, somehow God is is angry with me and his wrath abides upon me. Not if if your sins have been paid for. He disciplines you like a good father disciplines his children, but punishment has been taken at the cross. We have a tendency tendency to think when I do great things, when I'm serving like nobody's business and I'm leading a million people to Christ, well, God sure is proud of me today. I done earned some stuff before him. Not if you're in Christ. He's given you everything in the gospel. We have a tendency to allow our own hearts to lead us off and to walk into other things rather than the gospel there are things in this life that are good. It's good to do well at your job and strive to do good work and strive to love your family and devote yourself to them and sacrifice for them. And it's good to enjoy stuff. You know, the creation, walks on the beach, the mountains. It's it's good to have fun and to have entertainment. And it's good to have all those things. But that doesn't make me who I am. If all that's taken away, I'm still in Christ. I'm still righteous in him I'm still loved in him so no matter what suffering we do go through and we do go through a lot trials in this life we're still in Christ we are we are the gospel is sufficient for us but so often we want to add to the gospel saying yes I know I'm in Christ but if I could just get out of this trial then I could be at rest no you can be at rest in Jesus Christ in the trial and through the sorrow He says, pay attention. This is serious. And so the second thing he says is be aware, basically, be aware of the severity of adding to the gospel. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. We'll stop there for a moment. In verse 10, Paul expresses basically his confidence that the Galatian believers are not going to fall for this false teaching. And make sure you notice this. Paul's confidence isn't in the Galatians themselves. It's not like, well, Galatians, you guys are way too smart to fall fall for this. You're, you're way too smart to be deceived by this false gospel. No, in Galatians, Paul's already called them foolish twice and told them that they were bewitched once. Paul's confidence isn't in the Galatians, and it's not in himself, in his argument, to, to be able to convince them. His confidence is in the Lord. You see it? I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. He knows that the Lord who began the good work in them, in the Galatians, would bring it to completion. Paul's confident that the good shepherd won't allow a single one of his sheep to be snatched from his hand. But Paul is also confident in the Lord that that God will judge these troublemakers. You see it? The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty. Literally, the word is judgment, will bear the judgment. And look at what it says, whoever he is. Paul makes it clear that this goes for anyone. You need to understand it goes for anyone. It doesn't matter who tells you, whether they have a list of credentials and accomplishments attached to their name, doesn't matter if they have a religious resume that is the greatest the world has ever seen. God will judge. They will bear the judgment. It doesn't matter who you are. You are to test everything. Every teacher, every book, every sermon, every, everything that you read, everything that you hear, every piece of advice that you get, everything that you hear from this microphone, you are to test it by the word of God. You have God's word. That is the infallible rule of authority and practice and faith. You are to test it. You can't afford to be naive or negligent. In the opening letter of this, uh, opening section of this letter, Paul said that if anyone, even Paul himself or an angel from heaven preaches a different gospel, they're cursed. They're cursed under God. And so, yeah, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Wolves dress like sheep and they talk like sheep, but God sees and God knows and he's not fooled. They will bear the judgment, whoever they are. Jesus said it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and be cast into the sea than to cause one of my little ones to stumble. Paul makes sure that the Galatians know that God takes this very seriously. This is not a little theological disagreement that we can just agree to disagree about. This will bring the judgment of God, Paul says. Those troubling you will bear the penalty And because it's serious to God, Paul takes it seriously. We're going to skip verse 11 and come back to it. Verse 12, he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Fun times. That's pretty serious. Literally, he says, I wish they would cut themselves off. Now, as tactfully as I know how to say it, Paul is saying that I wish... That those who are all about circumcising themselves would just let the knife go the whole way and make eunuchs out of themselves. Now, I know the first thing crossing your mind is what a kind pastoral heart Paul has. But this is not a joke. Paul is not joking. The shepherds called to beat off the wolves. And this is not just a mean-spirited, emotional outburst for Paul. There's a context behind this statement. Around the region of Galatia and Phrygia, there were pagan practices to the goddess of Sibylle, Uh, of castrate the priests would castrate themselves for lack of a better way to put it and so all the people in galatia would have known about this practice but they'd also know the galatian christians and the jewish judaizers that had come into the church they would also know what god thinks about this practice because deuteronomy 23 1 says anyone castrated can't come into the assembly of the lord he's cut off from his people so paul's saying to them That if you accept circumcision as necessary to be right with God, you might as well go the whole way and castrate yourself and become a full-blown pagan because that's what you are. He's wishing that these false teachers, these Judaizers, would show the Galatians who they really are, pagans who are cut off from God. Now, we can all agree that's some pretty strong language. But this is a very serious situation. It's serious to God who will judge those who add to the gospel. And therefore, it it calls for serious language to protect the sheep. The reality is, if we're kind and inviting to the wolves, you only end up with fat wolves and dead sheep. Adding to the gospel is serious. It calls for a serious response It calls for a serious response in our own hearts. When our own heart tries to lead me astray, thinking I need something else in order to be right with God, to have rest for my soul, to have peace in the presence of the one who created me, it calls for a serious response. You have to go to war against that with God's word being your weapon. It calls for a serious response. And you need to understand also, lastly, we'll get done, you have to be aware that standing firm in the freedom of the gospel alone is always gonna bring persecution. Back up to verse 11, he says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now, this verse has caused a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. It looks like it's just stuck there in the middle of verse between 10 and 12. And we don't have a lot of context. We don't have a lot of background about what Paul's referring to. Evidently, the false teachers there in Galatia were accusing Paul of preaching circumcision when he evangelized the Jewish people and leaving circumcision out when he evangelized the Gentiles. And of course, we know that's not true. We went through Acts before we went through Galatians. So we, we've got a full-orbed uh, idea of Paul's preaching. He, he didn't do that. But here he denies it, of course, that he wasn't preaching circumcision as necessary for salvation. But I want you to look at the proof that he gives, the evidence that he gives that he's not preaching circumcision. He says, the evidence that I'm not is because I'm still being persecuted. I'm still being persecuted expressly because I don't preach circumcision. Paul was persecuted up and down Asia Minor and in Galatia all through Acts because the Jews despised his message of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. They despised the fact that that Gentiles didn't have to become Jews in order to be right with God. They rejected his message that keeping the law to be right with God is impossible And they went after Paul with all that they had. So, Paul's proof that he is preaching the right message, the right gospel, the pure gospel without circumcision is I'm still being persecuted. If I wouldn't, if I would just add circumcision, the implication is I wouldn't be persecuted anymore. Think about that for a minute. Paul could have avoided all the suffering, all the persecution all the stuff that he went through, by adding one tiny little thing. One little adi- I could still preach Jesus. I could still preach the cross. I could still preach the resurrection. I could still preach all of those things just by adding one tiny thing, circumcision. I could avoid all of this trouble, all of this suffering, all of this persecution, all of this trial. Listen, if we're going to stand firm in the gospel alone, you better be ready to stand against the world, the culture, and yes, religious folks too. The gospel message is offensive, and there is such a temptation. Just add this one it's not going to hurt. We're still talking about Jesus. No, not if you're not talking about Jesus alone. You're talking about a different Jesus. Just add this one part. If you'll just add baptism, we can get along. Well, guess what? We can't get along because that's not the gospel. If we're gonna stand firm in the freedom that Christ has brought us, you better believe it's gonna bring with it persecution. It's gonna bring with it suffering because the gospel message, the pure gospel of grace by faith in Jesus Christ alone will always be offensive. The cross is especially offensive to the pride of religious people. It tells us that there's nothing that we can do and nothing that we have ever done that merits anything before God. The cross tells us that the best works that we can do without Christ, without the Spirit of God, are still just sinful, wicked, and worthless to make us right before God. The cross shows us It shows us what we deserve. It shows us what we deserve as sinners. Jesus' suffering and death shows us what our sin costs. The cross shows us the penalty we deserve and the punishment that we owe. And if you think that your own work any work, any religious rite, any ceremony, any work, any addition, anything at all adds to the righteousness that Christ has given us by the cross and resurrection, even something as simple as circumcision or baptism or whatever, the scandal of the cross is removed. The offense of the cross is removed, he says in verse 11. Why? Why? Because if I can add anything, anything, even just going through the motion of circumcision or going through the motion of baptism or, or whatever work, helping the poor or giving money away or whatever, add anything, any work that you can possibly do. If I can do anything to add to my righteousness before God, then there is some part of me that is able to be good enough. There is some part of me that's righteous and worthy and acceptable. I want to do it, even if it's a small part, I want to do it so bad so I can know that it's done. If I can't do anything, and if I can't do it myself, I have to just trust that Jesus did it. But if I can go through the motion, if I can go through the ceremony, if I can do the work, if I can add my thing, then I know it's done because I did it. Listen, we must take this lesson to heart. You cannot, you cannot add anything to the cross of Christ. We must take it to heart. To follow Jesus is a battlefield. You enter a battlefield. You automatically inherit enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Christian life, walking in the gospel, is not a life of ease and comfort, but it is a life of true freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Paul says, stand firm in that freedom and don't go back to the slavery that you came out of. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, In Christ alone, when we're united to Christ in his death and resurrection, all of our sin is forgiven. We're redeemed, we're adopted into his family. There will never be a time in this life or the next that you will face punishment for your sin if you are in Christ. You will be disciplined for your sin. You will be corrected by God in the spirit. You will go through lots of things, lots of trials in this life, but Jesus paid it all. There is no punishment. He took it on the cross. So that same cross, that's offensive. It also shows us the love of God who gave himself, who gave his son in our place, Jesus, who gave himself. It also shows us what God has done to free us from the penalty of the law, free us from the power of sin, shows us the full price has been paid. There's nothing more that we have to do. There's nothing more we can do. It shows us that the veil that separates us from a holy God has been torn forever and the way is open to come boldly before the throne of grace in Jesus Christ. The gospel proclaims that Jesus is enough. He's enough to present us perfect before the Father. He's enough for us to walk in this life no matter what trials you're going through. Some people in this room going through trials, I'll never understand, can't understand. But I can tell you, Jesus is enough. At the cross, it truly is finished. The cross calls us to faith in Christ alone, to find our salvation there, our peace there, our purpose there, our identity there, our sufficiency there, our eternal life there. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm in it. Don't go back to slavery. Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have given us all things in the gospel. God, you are so good to us. And it's incomprehensible, the depth and the truth and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would imprint it upon our hearts, that you would show us what you would have us to be and do as you show us how to walk in Jesus and trust in Jesus. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you, would, that you would call upon them, that you would draw them to yourself and that they would see the futility of, of striving to do better and be better and live better and try to fix your life and try to stop doing these things and start doing these things in order to be right with you, in order to be righteous before you. It's useless. God, I pray that you would show them the truth. Show them the cross. The payment's been made the door has been opened, and that they would accept you by faith, trusting that Jesus died for my sin. He paid the price that I owe, and now nothing more is needed. God, I pray that you would save souls today, and that you would help us to walk in the truth. We do thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As always, I'm going to just stand right down here. I would love if you want to come, you just come while we sing. Will you stand with me?